Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rebel Daily Roundup. Very happy today to be joined by my co-host, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Sheila, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Is it as rainy there as it is here? Is it raining? Uh, no, it's not, but I think it's supposed to be, which, like, we're not allowed to turn on our sprinklers right now, so that would oh. be great. Um, and we can talk about that in a bit, but it was, like, 36, I think even 37 yeah, it was crazy. yesterday. So it was wild. <laughs> Last night, the wind was howling. Um, I know that uh, originally it was supposed to rain a lot on the weekend, which might hamper some fun plans, but uh, I think that forecast has shifted, so the fun plans should be uh, safely in order. Before we get to some of the stories of the day, I do want to get through some of the nuts and bolts. Um, so if you're joining us, you're likely joining us on Rumble, Odyssey, YouTube, Getter, wherever you're watching us. We're so happy to have you. I do want to encourage you guys to consider checking out and moving over to one of the platforms that doesn't really care about what people say, but instead just wants to give them a platform to share their own ideas. Uh, one of those great platforms, unlike YouTube, is Rumble. And another really nice thing with Rumble, in addition to allowing people to share their own opinions uh, and having some, some great programming beyond just Rebel News as well, um, you can actually participate in the show through what's called a Rumble rant. Uh, you chip in a couple bucks if there's a story you think we need to get to, if there's a thought you have, if there's anything along those lines whatsoever, that way we can interact with you, unlike the mainstream media who predominantly just interacts with the government that gives them handouts, we actually care about what our viewers think. Rumble rants are one of my favorite parts of this show. So considering that, you can also support us on Locals.com. Subscribe, you'll get access to all our regular content, plus a lot of the sort of behind-the-scenes exclusive access you don't get anywhere else. With that said, let's get into some of these stories of the day, and there are a lot of them. Um, we'll start with this article, Canada Mulling Game Plan if U.S. takes far-right authoritarian shift. Uh, Melanie Jolie always bringing some great, great stuff to the table. I'm being facetious if you can't tell. We are uh, certainly working on scenarios, Jolie said in French during an interview. It's funny, very often it's in French that they that they say these these things. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says Canada has been considering a game plan for how it would respond if the United States takes a far-right authoritarian shift after next year's presidential election. Um, obviously, they have no concerns with the current far-left authoritarian shift, but that's another story. We are certainly working on scenarios, said Jolie in a French during an interview with a Montreal radio station Wednesday. Jolie added that Ottawa's close political and economic ties to the U.S. means that we must certainly prepare several scenarios. She suggested Canada has a game plan plan in mind, but wouldn't get into details. In general, this, there's our game plan precisely to be able to manage what could be a rather difficult situation. I will work with my colleagues and uh, with the mayors and the provincial premiers and the business community, with the unions, with everyone in the country, so that we are ready regardless of election outcome. The article goes on, but I mean, uh, foreign interference? Yeah. No? You know, yeah. yeah, like this is not a good look because... First of all, there are two political parties in the United States. They're both mm -hmm. pretty centrist. Uh, you know what? That's not true. I will call the Republicans centrist and the Democrats who used to have a centrist wing. And now it just seems to be Joe Manchin is the only guy occupying that. And everybody else is totally colonized by the radical far left. Um, it's not a good look for you to demonize right now. 50% of the voters in the United States and your potential greatest trade ally um, for voting Republican, if that does indeed happen uh, in the next election cycle. Like, that's just crazy. You are setting yourself up for confrontation um, and some pretty serious protectionist policies directed at Canada if Donald Trump wins next time, because these guys just can't shut their mouths 
and let nature take its course in the United States. This is not our place. Shut up. It's yeah. and voting Republican does not make you far right or authoritarian. That like no. Justin Trudeau, Mr. Locking down everything, forcing Canadians to be vaccinated to travel within one of the largest, most vast countries on the face of the earth. Um, he's the authoritarian who went wild demonizing Canadians every time he got near, I was going to say the pulpit, but um, well, yeah. that is actually probably accurate because I think a lot of what he says is cloaked in religiosity. But every time he got near a microphone, he was ranting about my fellow Canadians and how dirty and gross they are and how they don't have a place in society. And what are we going to do about these people who just won't listen to my crazy ramblings and follow my lead and get a million boosters? Like, who is he to, first of all, lecture anybody about authoritarianism, but also shut your mouths. (laughs) Shut your mouths before we're in a trade war, please, thanks. Well, and it's such, it's just all it is, is is vapid, divisive rhetoric. Like, it's all these politicians do is divide, divide, divide. If you disagree in any way, shape, or form, divide, divide, divide. It was really, I actually went to see uh, Anthony Jeselnik, the comedian, last night. Very crude, so if that's not your thing, uh, don't check it out. But the opening act, it was interesting. She she came out and she started talking about how she's pro-choice. Um, but then she said, but for people who are pro-life out there, I get where you're coming from. Um, and the line that she said that just killed me, it wasn't funny. It was more like a political statement. But she's like, politicians want us divided because the more we're fighting each other, the less they actually have to do. And it hit the nail on the head. that These, these politicians think that if we're pointing the fingers at each other, if we're fighting each other, if it's all infighting, there's going to be no metrics of accountability for them. That is what this Justin Trudeau government is all about. The people who are still voting for him, he doesn't want them pausing for even an instance to look at what he's doing. He wants to continue directing it. Look at those dirty unvaccinated people. Look at the scary Republicans in the United States. Look at this. Look at that. Look at anything but me. That's the Justin Trudeau liberal style of governance. And there's more of this. I mean, it's the rule book of propaganda to accuse somebody of what you're doing. And this far left authoritarianism that we're seeing in Canada, we don't want the Americans copying our playbook on the right. Uh, That's their real concern, I think. So, yeah, not surprising, but pretty much on par um as something of a did you have anything on that before sorry, we go just, on sorry yeah just before we move away from that uh i'd love to know what their big fat game plan is by the way yeah. like what are you gonna yeah. do to take on a country 10 times your size in the economy population and uh i think international political power what are you gonna do except probably compromise our trade deals with them yeah. and uh make sure that everything is bad and by the way um it, it have you noticed they're taking a harder line stance on the potential for a Republican government in the United States than they are taking on China? Like that seems a little bit weird, right? On everything. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. I know you talked about it yesterday, but it doesn't matter if it's net zero or foreign interference or espionage. China gets a free pass, Alberta oil, Republicans in the United States, all villains that must be stopped. Um, there, There does seem to be though, uh, in reply to this general sort of under Trudeau, we've seen this swing to the left, this continued progressive push, this uh, ceaseless trend towards wokeness. Um, and wh- whether it's Danielle Smith or now under uh, Pierre Polyavre, the federal government, 
um, or the, the the hopeful federal government, at least after the next election, um, by their metrics, the Conservative Party, um, they're to debate several anti-woke policy resolutions. Oh, and you up- know the the mainstream media are going to lose their marbles oh, yeah. over this yeah. stuff. I can't I can't wait. I can't wait to see them freak out. Um, but it's, it looks like it's pretty normal stuff. Anyways, I'll be quiet. You keep going. No, no, by all means, weigh in whenever. Yeah, and this is the thing is most of these things are completely normal, but they're <laughs> obviously going to be blown. It's like we're going to put an end to the craziness, and they're like, oh, no, they're they're bigots. But, yeah, let's read through here. But Conservative Party of Canada members attending next month's national convention are set to debate several anti-woke policy proposals. True North has learned. For folks out there, a policy proposal is a member or a group within the party effectively just putting something forward for the party to discuss and then vote on. So these aren't these aren't official policies, aren't party policies. This is someone has brought this forward. The party will vote on it. Resolutions advancing to the convention will address gender ideology as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion. I guess there's an acronym for that now. Uh, other uh, why, anyways. Other resolutions touch on free speech, fighting child grooming, and promoting medical freedom things that everyone should always agree to forever except for the last few years apparently true north had a look at the list of 60 policy resolutions that are set to be debated at the convention listen we can go through all these uh if you're so inclined um let's read through a bit of the gender ideology one because i know that's a hot button one right now and then if anything else jumps up to you this thing Uh, basically this thing basically protects women's spaces. And so all the feminists on the left are going to tie themselves in a, a big, huge pretzel trying to figure out how they oppose this because a conservative brought it up. But these are the people who would not shut up about women's only spaces um, like six years ago, 30 yeah. seconds ago. But all of it, and it defi- it does what Matt Walsh asked us all to do, define what is a woman. They're going to put it in writing. Uh, hopefully, yeah. if this resolution makes it to the floor, we will be the party of knowing exactly what a woman is. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know because you also like while these policies are great, and you know, like there's one that addresses child grooming, like mm-hmm. tougher sentences for pedophiles. Great, uh, the left will find a way to oppose that too. Um, but uh, uh, we also have to realize that the party. EDA, so the Electoral District Association, so the, the, you know, like the local writings that are proposing these ideas, they also have to sort of run through the gauntlet of overly politically correct party brass that might mm-hmm. prevent these things from getting to the floor. Yeah, you know, that's going to be that I, I, I know what the liberals are going to say often when you get the very interesting surprises is when you're actually at these things and someone brings forward a policy that you're like, yes, this is so common sense. And then some 40 year old 40 year party guy or whatever, someone who's been part of the yeah. institution forever comes up and some of the sort of inventive things, they aren't quite as rote as the left. It's it's really surprising. I'm sure we'll probably have some folks there checking this out, bringing uh, all we the will. perspectives we have to, on Alexa, this. Alexa yeah. and Guillaume will yeah. be there covering this. Hopefully, um, if the party allows them accreditation, this is my uh, signal to the party right now. Allow our journalists accreditation. They're going to do honest journalism. And if I find out there's a CBC reporter in there and you've blocked a Rebel News one, boy, I'm not going to be happy. Don't pick it oh, up they and won't. fight with us. They wouldn't do that, <laughs> Adam said forcefully. <laughs> Um, they yeah, no, this is a... they did do it. They've done it in the past. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while though. That was yeah, like it's, the, a, that... it's a new thing. Yep. Yeah, that was the Shiro tool days, I think, to an extent. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. So, uh, anyways, it is it is good to see 
Let's see what comes to pass. Ultimately, if this is just a few people with good ideas putting these forward and it gets quashed, um, it's going to go a long way to telling us that the party really has not changed that much. Um, but if we see some of these adopted, and I mean, they can be amended a little bit, but if we see at least yeah. a shift towards acknowledging protecting children, rejecting uh, radical gender ide ideology, uh, defending free speech and medical choice. That will be a, a strong uh, signifier. Now, this stuff can be boring. You're there for like a whole weekend. They're talking about policies. Uh, but it is really sort of the, the behind-the-scenes boring legislature and uh, policy-type stuff that ultimately forms uh, the policies that turn into law. Um, so this stuff really does matter. So if you haven't been out to one of these things before, if you're not politically active, this is a good way to get in at the ground floor. Everyone in conservative politics uses this term grassroots. Well, the people who've been to 100 board meetings and brought this policy forward or yeah. these policies forward, they're the real grassroots, not the Jason Kenney campaign that was structured by a bunch of professionals. Real grassroots politics is this type of stuff. Well, and it is a chance for this party to distinguish itself and rebrand itself after mm -hmm. the dark, boring years, uh, vanilla, vegetable lasagna years of Aaron O'Toole and Andrew mm -hmm. Shearer, where you're like, how are you ostensibly and tangibly different than the liberals on any issue? Mr. Yeah. We're going to have a carbon tax, but we're going to call it something else. Um, they whipped the vote to support the Paris Accord. Um, yep. They kowtowed to the lockdowns. They didn't stand up for medical freedom. They they didn't uh, support the convoy in any real tangible way. This is a chance post choice of uh, Pierre Polyev as the leader to make themselves something different and something new and to offer Canadians a real alternative to the, like I said, the vegetable lasagna days of Aaron O'Toole, just noodles and butter, very boring. Um, it's, a, it's a chance to be something different and listen to the people. Let's see if they do it. Because what yeah. I know about conservatives is they are famous for snatching uh, victory from the jaws of, or snatching defeat, I guess, in this case, from the, yeah. from, from uh, the jaws of defeat. Yeah. No, and you're you're dead on there. It's like the the ideas become popular, even like whether it be Andrew uh, O'Toole or Shear. Um, they're like, oh, we're gonna like defund the CBC. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. And then push comes to shove, and they have an opportunity to do it, and they completely back off from it. Yeah. Um, and, and fold like like a like a cheap tent. Um, we need a conservative government that's not gonna do that. And I have to say, like Pierre Polyevre, uh, don't get me wrong. Every politician is gonna respond to the sort of spirit of the age to an extent. They shouldn't necessarily, but uh, uh, Pierre. He, when he gets pushback, he seems at least compared to what we've seen over the past few years to stick to his guns. Um, hopefully that holds true. Uh, still waiting for him to sit down with me with for that long exclusive interview and prove that he actually is open to uh, full access and transparency to the media. So uh, still waiting on that from his team, though I've talked to them and they've been like, yeah, for sure, 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 sure. Um, let's do that because it's it's long overdue. That'd be a, that'd be a good step towards proving you're not going to cave, kowtow, and... Uh, do what other folks have done, because frankly, some of those other people have even talked to us in interviews. So time to change that. Um, on that note, I think we are going to jump to a quick commercial break and we'll come back with yep. some more stories. We're facing an imminent threat. A planned blackout of all news content in Canada is coming to Facebook and Instagram, threatening to silence rebel news and those who depend on us for the other side of the story. 
Because, well, Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, which demands social media companies pay news outlets for the news stories their users share on the platform. It's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. It seems the billions in taxpayer subsidies just aren't enough to keep the country's propagandists in business. But Meta, Facebook's parent company, has chosen to block Canadian news content rather than comply, Rebel News included. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. But fear not, we have had a plan to protect your access to our news content. We've partnered with Private Internet Access, PIA, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices. And unlike other VPN providers, PIA does not store any user data as it's automatically deleted from their servers to avoid leaks and government subpoenas for information. Their servers are located in all 50 states, not the ones in communist China. You can visit PIAVPN.com slash Rebel News and enjoy an exclusive 83% discount and four months free. Use it to bypass regional restrictions and stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world. And stick it to Trudeau's new censorship law. Safeguard freedom of speech and join us to combat Trudeau's censorship today at PIAVPN.com slash Rebel News. Well done, Sid. That was a really good read. And legit folks uh, out there, uh, I mentioned this last week on stream, but I've been using PIA for years. They really are the best. Uh, so do check like, them think out. Over the deal they're giving us too. Like the it's deal crazy. that they're, it's yeah. crazy cheap. Like it's crazy, crazy yeah. cheap. I can't believe yeah. how cheap it is. Yeah. And it's so easy. Like if you're, uh, we mentioned this last week as well, but if you're someone who hasn't, if you're not particularly tech savvy, you install this app, you press a button, you're on your VPN. Literally right now, even if Revel tags me uh, to po post something on Instagram or to access my own content, I need to turn on my VPN. Otherwise, it simply I doesn't work. Yeah. They got me yesterday. Uh, yeah. The team sent me something to be a collaborator on yeah. Instagram for. And I was like, oh, I better watch this before I agree to this nonsense. I'm just kidding. But I didn't have my <laughs> VPN turned on. And <laughs> disappears. And, uh, and then I was like, oh, I can't even watch myself complaining yeah. about how bad the news is because that's uh, Justin Trudeau's shakedown. Um, and that's how the big tech companies have reacted to Justin yeah. Trudeau. I couldn't even watch my own self complaining. Yeah. I can't even complain about C18 <laughs> without the consequences of C18 coming to get me. So get your VPN is what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. Check that deal out now. They are, and really, like I mentioned there, they don't hold on to your like records, yes. so the government can't can't seize them and then prove you donated to such and such or whatever. Anyways, moving on. Um, we're gonna get through a bunch of stories here quick. We've got lots of news today, so yeah. um, we want to touch on this briefly. Um, obviously, like we're we've got folks in Maui right now looking into that story, telling the other side of the story. I think we're starting to work on plans to look at some of the Canadian wildfires as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah. all. 20,000 Yellowknife residents now evacuating as a result of that massive fire. Folks surely saw on social media, West Kelowna, the massive fires in Kelowna. These fires are taking place kind of all over the place and, and, and unprecedented rates. Um, and we are seeing now that these are being investigated, but there are far more incidents of arson uh, than we've seen in past years. So that is extremely concerning. Um, there's not too much to say politically here, except the left, of course, 
wants to say a lot politically um, and, and to, to sort of politicize this tragedy as it's unfolding. The amount of people I've seen weighing in on social media saying like we need more wind turbines and solar farms now in response in to this. the Northwest Territories. In the yeah. Northwest ter Territories, people who are heavily reliant on fossil fuels, you want them to go on to solar panels to combat climate change. Uh, I've got to tell you, I'm working on a story about this right now. Uh, I'm going to film it after the live stream here so we can't go late um, because yeah. it's pretty newsworthy. Uh, Rebecca Alti, she's the mayor of Yellowknife. And boy, she's doing a great job up there. Um, the entire community is being evacuated. I think more than half the residents of the territory are displaced at this point. Kudos to my friends and neighbors in Alberta for and Alberta communities for absorbing the majority of those evacuees. We yeah. in Alberta right now are absorbing more than half the people in the Northwest Territories who are under evacuation order. Um, the thing about Alberta, and I think the Northwest Territories, this rings true also, is heavy mm -hmm. industry is really an asset in times of crisis like this. Besides yeah. the fact that they have the equipment to build the berms and fire breaks that you need, this is what happens when an entire populace is trained in evacuation techniques. Yeah. Um, because uh, that was one of the reasons that resulted in zero deaths except for a motor vehicle accident when Fort McMurray was evacuated a few years ago and one third of the town burned. When Slave yeah. Lake was evacuated, um, you've got people who know how to evacuate because they are trained annually through their jobs in heavy industry in the north. It's mining, it's forestry, it's um, all those sorts of things. In Alberta, it's forestry, again, sometimes mining, um, oil and gas. You've got people who know how to you know get to muster points and they know you know about confined space and you know about uh how to use respirators and all those things and it, it, it the untold story of how um we are uniquely equipped i think in the civilized world to mm -hmm. deal with these things is our close relationship with heavy industry right. out here well, these hardworking, uneducated people—they're—they're uh, they're pretty darn good at this stuff for <laughs> sure. And it's incredible to see. I know Calgary, Calgary alone is taking in five thousand people. Yeah. They're fully equipped, set up, and they have capacity to take more than that if needed. The biggest issue right now is they're turning food donations away because they have a system in place, and Calgarians are showing up uh, in such a way that they're we, that they're overwhelmed it. <laughs> with resources. It's incredible. Uh, and and you, you mentioned uh, uh, that mayor. I, I have to say, and this is a very rare occasion. I've actually agreed with Jyoti Gondek twice in the last 24 hours, um, which is which is, is incredibly rare. One of the seven seals of the apocalypse are being opened. <laughs> <It is. laughs> very so scared. first off, the, the incredible reply to this, the capacity to tackle this, say we're doing more. Uh, it is fundamentally Albertan of Jyoti Gondek, so cheers to her for that. You're not going to hear this from me often. And now this, um, Jyoti Gondek, Calgary's mayor, basically told the Alberta NDP to uh, go fly a kite. And we talked about this, we'll talk about this in a bit, but uh, seeing as we're on it, um, Daniel Smith, the UCP, um, they've put this six-month uh, moratorium on solar and wind because, one, there's questions about the sustainability of the supply and the grid storage and all that. But, two, because with their, with with oil sites, they're talking about cleanups. There's no yeah, plan. There's, there's no, no end life plan. Yeah. Yeah, there's no plan yeah. whatsoever. So they're saying, okay, well, we need this so we can address this. So it's environmentally sound. It's practical. It's sensible. 
And even Joe T. Gondek is telling the NDP that what they're doing is the sensible, environmental, and responsible thing moving forward. Now, nobody likes the fact that some people's jobs are paused for a couple months as they get to the bottom of this. But the liberals and the NDP people out there who are shouting about jobs, they couldn't have cared less at all when oil people lost their jobs. When They, they, they don't care at all about people losing their jobs. They only care now that there's political capital. But it's incredible to see. I mean, G.O.T. Gondek is wildly unpopular. Hopefully she's waking up and realizing that she can't just push her own agenda. She has to listen to people. But that's two check marks for G.O.T. Gondek. Um, there's a couple hundred maybe a couple thousand X's she has to offset, but a uh, good start, JOT, two in a row. Unblock me and I'll retweet you. Um, I'm, I'm frightened. But, I'm just, I'm frightened by these developments and, and what it means for the end of days. What is, what is happening? Apocalyptic stuff. So, yeah, but yes. uh, yeah, uh, uh, thoughts and to a more significant extent for you and I prayers to everyone out there who's struggling with this wherever you are um we hope you your families your pets and your even your properties are uh, as safe as can be but uh, take care of human lives first that's a priority folks um yep. moving on to our next story um a bit of a story and it is what it is weeks not days another bc ferry has broken down and is expected to be out of service for a long time we don't need to spend too much time on this i just wanted to point out this bc ferries is now independently managed but it's still owned by the government um, yeah. i've spent quite a bit of time in south america um and they have ratchet don't get me wrong off the coast of argentina there's super ferries and it's very luxurious there's a lot of ferries down there to get around they're super ratchety and they managed to fix them and keep them going with a hundredth of the budget, a thousandth of the budget of BC ferries. This whole mentality that things just break and can't be fixed is the most governmental thing I've ever heard of. And <laughs> if this was a private institution, it just wouldn't be happening. Yeah, and people rely on this. Like, they, they commute. And this is the height of the tourism season. Also, yeah. like, this seems like it's, we should have a solution for when things yeah. get broken. Yeah. Oh, and there is what I, I guarantee you what the problem is here is there's red tape and board meetings and and some there's, I guarantee you there's a guy at BC Ferries right now who could fix this, but is not being allowed to. Um, right. Wild. He so, needs to fill out a stack of paperwork and consult with the union rules. I'm exactly. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fill in a T7 form and file it with the yada, yada, yada. Anyways, just want right. to touch on that. It's whether it's whether it's museums losing 800 pieces or ferries not being able to ferry. It's always you, you, you can always go to the bottom of the page and there's like a government of Canada or government of BC or something thing there. Fail safe. It's a game I play whenever I hear about a corporation or entity not functioning uh, property. <laughs> now, this is an interesting story because it very much echoes we're seeing so much and there's there's more of this yep. these stories coming but alberta and saskatchewan um rejecting what everything else everyone else is doing and that we're seeing inflation yes. the lowest in these provinces we're seeing crime starting to be tackled we're seeing addictions being tackled scott moe daniel smith are saying nope to everything that hasn't been working and doing things different um right. whether it be the the human trafficking task force established um here or the increased responsibilities of sheriffs I'm sort of keeping an eye out on maybe police who weren't doing as much as they should be within cities' cores. Um, Daniel Smith has been a big advocate 
Um, and so now uh, the Saskatchewan uh, authorities have formed a new police service. Yes. Um, critics are questioning the lack of oversight. Oh, yeah, well, they, they should do. have questioned the lack of oversight over the RCMP and the police who weren't doing their jobs. Uh, the Saskatchewan party government has begun establishing a new provincial police service, but the minister in charge says it won't have an oversight body until until boots are on the ground. Christine Tell, Minister of Corrections. I, hang on, let's, let's just stop for a second. Yeah, I know. Christine Tell, by the way, sorry, Christine Tell, by the way, an absolute fashion icon in Saskatchewan. That oh, is yeah. a stylish woman, by the way. I yeah. think she's a former police officer. So she knows. Like, she, It's not like she's she's anti-RCMP. She's a former cop. Um, yeah. But I like that the critics, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but the critics, no, I, we the, the, critics want the, the critics want the bureaucrats in place before the First. cops are in place. Yeah. They yeah. want the government, the government busybodies in place before they have actual cops so they're putting the bureaucracy over top of the safety of the community yeah. i'll be quiet and, please go on <laughs> and that no i literally as i read past that i was like oh, i'm gonna get back and say exactly that it's so funny like no no we need a regulatory body we need to consult bc fairies on this before we get no it's like we need people on the ground they're not saying we're not going to have a, an oversight body after they're saying we're going to get people on the ground and have people over with oversight overlooking them but l listen there, there's going to be rules and regulations in place but yeah these people all they want is bureaucracy they don't want anything to be done whatsoever uh christine tell fashion icon uh <laughs> minister of corrections yes policing public <laughs> safety uh, now has authority to form a new Saskatchewan Marshals Service. Alberta's going to have sheriffs. Saskatchewan's going to have marshals. This is going to be cool. Uh, said a recent order in council. Uh, the order states that the province's deputy minister will act in place of a board to oversee operations. Um, so the plan is to effectively have it operational in 2026. Um, this is really good. I think, um, and it, it's a repudiation of this RCMP, RCMP entitlement. There are wonderful folks within the RCMP, even throughout COVID-19. I encounter, encountered a bunch of them doing as much as they could to help people who were in a pinch. There are also some very bad people. But the thing is, 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 and we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, so many of the RCMP or police who were brought in to enforce and shut down protests and do all this stuff, they were brought in from outside of communities because the people inside of communities wouldn't do this to their own people. By localizing authorities, these people mm -hmm. have a, a greater level of accountability to their local communities, they're known to their local communities, and they're not waiting for feedback from Ontario and BC Ferries. I'm, of course, joking again, but they, they can act to benefit and help and, and work within their communities. There are cultural differences between Ontario and Saskatchewan and Vancouver that that local policing authorities need to be able to respond to. So I think that this is just uh, good news, plain and simple. Well, it flies in the face of the whole defund the police movement, right? Yeah. And yeah. In, in this targets policing where it needs to be targeted. You know, we saw this in... Alberta, where our premier deployed uh, sheriffs mm -hmm. to the downtown core, because the people who are paying for the public services and infrastructure in the downtown core, i.e. the LRT system and the C-Train in Calgary, couldn't use it because these places became open air drug markets. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you got to make you got to make your cities safe. And if the cities are unable or is so often the case in progressive cities unwilling to do it for ideological reasons um instead of calling in the social workers the way the progressives wanted to our premier called in some cops 
Um, And hopefully it starts to make a difference. We know her drug policy is already making a difference in changing lives. But Mm -hmm. if you go into Saskatchewan's plan for their marshal service, um, which I mean, there lots of, you have to look at this through sort of a, a local policing lens, as you pointed out. So the cities yeah. have their own police forces, right? Regina has police. Edmonton has its police. And um, what they're basically going to do is create a similar such police agency for the rural areas. Because why yeah. can't we have our own uh, cops? So um, like what Ontario saying, has. Just like uh, Ontario has for a very long time. Um, So the ordering council states that the marshals are to detect, disrupt, and deter criminal activity in rural and remote areas. You know, where we need the help, but help is so far away. They're also to enforce provincial and federal laws, locate and apprehend prolific offenders, so recidivist jerks, the human crime waves, on warrants and investigate farm thefts, and damage done to crops caused by trespassing. This is all just like, I love everything about this. And yeah. so the urbanites in the in the cities um, who actually don't live in the downtown core where it's like plagued by um, crime, but like who live in the suburbs, they're like, oh, we don't like this because they don't mm-hmm. have to deal with trespassers and people coming on their property. And the fact that cops are 45 minutes away when you need them at this minute. Um, the, yeah. Those are the people against this stuff. Farmers are like, yep, yep, we yeah. love it. Um, because this is targeted to help us, which is something we've been saying for years and years and years. If you are not going to let us defend ourselves and make sure you have police who will, this is addressing that problem. Yeah. You know, and it's it's it just the, what comes to mind. We've got Tell taking the strong stance in Saskatchewan. Mickey Amory, the uh, justice minister here, recently gave a, a rant about how they're going to get hard on crime. Uh, we had Dan Williams saying he really couldn't care less what progressives say on, on addiction. They're going to help people get better. Uh, Minister Ellis, Minister of Public Safety and Emergencies, once again doubling down on how they're going to get hard on crime. The words of Premier Daniel Smith when I was interviewing her on human trafficking, uh, not just on human trafficking, but on crime echo true. And I said, what's your message to folks out there who are benefiting from this? And she said, not here. That is the clear message from the government of Saskatchewan and the government of Alberta right now. They're saying, criminals, you're not welcome here. We're going to find you. We're going to punish you. You're not going to be back on the street on bail. We will see crime decrease over the coming months, over the coming years. Um, This is good news. And I have to say, even last night, those sheriffs being introduced, I was in downtown Calgary, lots of the sort of areas around Olympic Plaza, around some of the C train stations. the The fact that the sheriffs are there sort of looking over police officers' shoulders whether they like it or not, whether it's subconscious or concerted, the police are actually parked in spots where crimes take place. They used to just steer clear of there because you you put in a lot of effort, do a ton of paperwork, lock somebody up, and nothing would come of it. They'd be released. The cops yep. in every sort of dangerous spot within the city last night, I saw a vehicle with two police officers in it keeping an eye out, and I didn't hear anyone screaming, fighting, yelling. I think things are changing already. I, I certainly hope so. So good news on uh, on the on the front of law and order out west. Um, moving on to some China-related stories. Uh, Chinese consulates task Chinese students in aggressive intelligence ops, according to Canadian intelligence. 
Uh, Beijing's top diplomats in Canada are tasking and likely funding Chinese student associations in aggressive intelligence operations that include monitoring and coercing other students and university officials, Canadian uh, intelligence documents allege. According to CSIS investigations, these operations include a consul general tasking Chinese students to investigate and gather intelligence on the family of an alleged uh, Chinese economic figure. It goes on and on, but I think involving students in this is just sick. Like it's it's it's, it's another level. It's kind of like you know what? Well, they're you'll see someone they're 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 a Chinese student. You're like, oh, wonderful! They're coming to learn about freedom and culture. No, it yeah. turns out the government has them operating as a Chinese like spy. This is right. brutal, and it sounds just about on brand. Uh, for for the Chinese government. Uh, yeah, what, what do you make of this? Well, I think probably, I, I'm not surprised by any of this. I just assume that uh, every organization that uh, has direct ties to the Chinese government is spying on Canadians yeah. or expats. Like, I just at this point, I'm just like, yep, yeah. if there's like a, any sort of link to Chinese officialdom, I'm just going to assume yeah. they're, they're spying. But what I think is the most important line in all of this is that uh, the feds in particular, Justin Trudeau, have known about this allegation since 2019. So a good four years. <laughs> um, so um, it says the allegations are disclosed in a June 2019 Canadian eyes only draft report for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau produced by uh NSICOP, a bipartisan intelligence review body. And so this intelligence document was uh, reviewed exclusively by Sam Cooper's operation, the Bureau, and it describes how Chinese diplomats in Canada have deeply infiltrated campuses, cleverly leveraging the protected spaces of higher education to attack the nation's democratic and economic institutions. So the feds have known about this for four years. And what have the feds done? nothing why yeah. because the feds are benefiting from this like the, they yeah. are winning in ridings and conservative chinese candidates are losing because they are not the preferred choices of beijing yeah yeah it's wild and it's 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 just part of a pattern that like when is there going to be some sort of justice this liberal government this Justin Trudeau government, we're going to talk, you talked about it yesterday, but we're going to talk about Minister Gilbo's direct involvement with this Chinese yeah. government. But the, the, we, we, you can go on and on. I can't even remember the instances. You have money coming in from a, uh, have a, a large Chinese community in China to uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, Eastern Canadian constituency. Um, you have election interference. You have uh, police stations being set up. It goes on and on. There are just no lack, and there's no effort, no no willingness, no desire. In fact, there's an there's a very self evident uh, sort of uh, condoning of what is going on by this government across the board. And we talked about this off the top of the show. It, it doesn't matter if you're opening coal factories uh, every year, coal, coal production sites, electric and, uh, sites in China. You can be opening one every day and this liberal government will, will encourage you while they're shutting down natural resources that are far more yeah. ethical right here in Alberta. It, there's a glaring double standard and, and what's the possible motivation for it? I mean, 
one can speculate, but it, it isn't rational. It isn't in line with Canadian interests. It isn't in line with the, the needs of people who are struggling to pay their bills. Um, there has to be sort of a personal benefiting agenda for certain people, Justin Trudeau nominally. But what we is it? Know, as they say. We both yeah. know. Who benefits? Who benefits yeah. from this? So China benefits, but so does Justin Trudeau. Benefits... Yeah from the support of his favorite dictatorship, because I think the liberals only ideology is power at all costs and yeah. hanging on to power at all, all costs. And they're willing to take that help from anybody, even if it means trading the integrity of Canadian institutions and Canadian democracy for it. Yeah. And I don't know if we're ever going to get to the bottom of, if we're ever going to get an honest answer as to what conversations or dealings this is such a pattern here that this isn't simply looking the other way this has to be a two-way street there has to be networks of communication for this to be happening on this scale if something happens once it can be a coincidence twice the same thing three times you start to be suspicious but if you're talking about dozens hundreds of instances of the same patterns of behavior um there's something undeniable going on here. And hey, it'd be great if the RCMP would investigate that, but uh, I guess they won't. Maybe we can send the sheriffs and uh, the Saskatchewan force out there uh, to, to to investigate. But uh, And yeah, the BC Ferry is... Cops. <laughs> yes, and the BC Ferry Authorities. Um, so we did talk about this yesterday, but I do want to touch yeah. on Scott Moe weighing in on this. So Daniel Smith tweeted that uh, uh, after a recent news report, Mr. Stephen Gilvo is a vice chair of a CCP environmental group. I'm concerned is why the minister wants Alberta to be net zero by 2035, but is okay with China getting there by 2060. Now, Daniel Smith said uh, that this was recent, but I think we broke this, what, five years ago, you were saying, Sheila? Yes. So Brian Lilly, the post-media bailout journalist, has discovered an exclusive story that uh, Rebel News broke uh, in 2018. <laughs> so good job, Brian. You're a little late to the game. Um, but uh, yeah, so 2018, we broke the news that Catherine McKenna, the environment minister at the time, was sitting on this advisory board um, of the CCP. And not only does the Canadian environment minister sits on this advisory board, but Canada also pays $1.6 million to China, the world's second largest economy, for the pleasure of advising the Chinese communist genocide heirs on their climate policy. I Like, it's just the stupidest thing ever. So now, yeah. five years later, the mainstream media catches up to us, and they report this, because, and the new minister involved is Stephen Gilbo. And um, so now the conservative politicians are outraged by this news that was broken five years ago. Um, and uh, uh, you know what, late, whatever, but I'm happy at least now they're expressing outrage on this issue um, yeah. because I think it is now in like the proper context, just how infiltrated and how intermingled we are with the CCP. Oh yeah, yeah. It's and it isn't like uh, it isn't even a maybe anymore. We talked about the pattern being established. There isn't even a pattern being established. It's like yeah, this guy works for them. I, I the, works how for there's them. not yeah, <laughs> yeah. It works for them. How there is not just an overt con like they're on the board of the World Economic Forum. They're working for the Chinese Communist Party. It, that, that's not how you. you it's not 
acceptable under any metric. And the fact there isn't a clear conflict of interest and that the House isn't immediately saying, well, you have to resign. This is ridiculous. All of this stuff under a conservative government prior to Justin Trudeau, maybe not the WEF board thing. There's been some of that before, but all this stuff that people would be, it, every headline would be deriding them. They'd be done in politics forever. But now it's just business as usual. And we've now got a couple generations of liberals working for for this con this Communist Party that is engaged yeah. in an act of genocide presently um, is the, if you care about the environment, the greatest polluter the world has ever seen, and no one will ever, ever, ever catch them. And the, one of the greatest human rights violators. But I mean, this is the thing is if you look at the policies that this government is enforcing, if you look at the way Justin Trudeau talks about certain groups of people, if you look how Justin Trudeau acts, he wants us to be like China, not an economic powerhouse, but completely subservient, beaten down with absolutely nothing. He said outright he admires the basic dictatorship and their capacity to get things done. He, This is what he wants. He wants to be the leader of Canada, the supreme unchallenged leader of communist Canada. It's surreal. But and again, think, let's loop yeah. back. Let's loop back to Melanie Jolie saying, you know, we've got a plan if the U.S., I guess, votes Republican. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got uh, because voting Republican might turn the place authoritarian, I guess, yeah. in spite of the Constitution, which actually restrains the government yeah. and actually has teeth, unlike the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, that's what they're worried about. While we have a minister of the crown working for the CCP, yeah, we've got a plan. It was provided. We're we're still working. The reason she couldn't provide details is because it's still being translated from Chinese. Um, that is that's where they got their plan, <laughs> and that's why she doesn't have details yet because it was given to them because a strong Republican government in the United States means a strong United States, mm -hmm. and China does not like China that. doesn't so, like that. Yes, yeah. that's a great point. Good yeah. to see here, though. And uh, speaking of good point, that's how Scott Moe starts his tweet. Perfect segue. Good point. Scott Moe now. Uh, why is a Canadian minister serving on an advisory council created by the Communist Party uh, government of China? Welcome, Premier of Saskatchewan and leader of the Saskatchewan Party, Scott Moe, to the conversation Rebel News has been having for five years. But again, it is good to see Alberta <laughs> and Saskatchewan once again saying, no, no, we're not going to we're not going to go along with this. Um, we're saying no. While the Liberal government may go along with this, um, we've got politicians with brass now who are saying, no, absolutely not. And uh, come mess around with the West and you're going to get the horns. Um, happy to see it. You guys talked about this a bunch yesterday, though. So we can move it's good. on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. But it is good to see some politicians standing up. Um, this is the most perfect Toronto political story I've heard. Uh, insiders say Doug Ford uh, saved staff or blamed in Greenbelt scandal. Yeah, that's because he's the one who blamed him pretty much, um, despite advice to let him go. It's incredible in any other industry other than politics, the stuff that they just get away with or get blamed for when it's not really them and then get to keep their job anyways is surreal. The political aide blamed for Premier Doug Ford's $8.28 billion Greenbelt land swap debacle is back on the job and keeping his head down. Ryan Amato, Chief Staff to Municipal Affairs and Housing Minister Steve Clark, returned from vacation in Italy uh, to a firestorm in the last week's Auditor General's report. This just 100% seems like one of those cases of, uh, can you take the fall for this? It won't cost you your job. Does it not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just pinned it on this guy. He may or may yeah. not be implicated in it. I'm not sure. But as yeah. long as he was like the public face of the scandal, 
they're yeah. just like, no, it's that guy. <laughs> and but he gets rewarded by getting to keep his job. This is just like perfect political nonsense. Um happens everywhere. It's, it's not Ford. It's not it's not the chief, it's not the minister, it's none of the politicians. Yeah. It's just one of his chief one of his it's staff. It's just an underling who probably yeah, got yeah. a raise for taking the fall, by the way. I was elected to lead, not to read. That's this. That's Steve Amato's <laughs> job. He was the, he was the uh, reader, and he misread. Um, so yeah, oh. that's it. Uh, in more Toronto esque political news, Toronto is exploring new taxes and a parking levy to tackle budget deficits. Like all of us, when things are getting tight, we just demand more money of people around us. No, we, <laughs> we cut costs and behave more sensibly. Um, a municipal yeah. sales tax, a dedicated 911 levy, more power for Toronto Parking Authority to set higher prices, graduated hike and land transfer tax for luxury homes are among the flurry of revenue proposals city staff are recommending that Toronto explores in order to stave off crushing, to stave off rather, crushing financial pressures. Uh, when she was elected back in June, Mayor Olivia Chow called for a special August meeting of executive committee uh, of the executive committee, rather, to deal with city's troubled finances. That meeting is set to take place next week, and the report, uh, and the report, the committee that's where uh, will consider was released today. So, I mean, this is so Toronto, Trudeau, Ontario. Every other politician is like, "Oh, people can't afford anything. Things are brutal. We need to make life more affordable. Inflation is the worst." Toronto is like, we need much, much, much more taxes because we're spending in uncontrolled fashion. Right. I just saw out of the corner of my eye there, a $46.5 billion shortfall? Yeah. What did I see? That's a crazy number for a it, city. It, yeah. Like, it, it's insane. And it, And you're right. Like, people are trying to go to work to buy food. And you want to gouge them where they park their car to go to work. Stop like, spending the money. You don't have it. The people don't have it. Do you think people have extra money to just give to the city to go yeah. parking? Of course they don't. Stop spending the money. A photograph of Rob Ford's headstone would do a better job than Olivia Chow in this current council. Yeah, 100%. And that's just so folks understand, they're not saying the total amount they need is $46.5 billion. They're saying over that's 10 years, the shortfall. The shortfall. <laughs> is 46.5 billion so they've like over budgeted or under budgeted over 10 years by 46.5 billion and it's what's the population of toronto right now i don't know 10 million eight or nine million something like that it's a mega city how but still but 46.5 are you paying for the construction of 15 burj khalifas what is happening legitimately yeah. I, I don't I don't understand what is happening here by any metric whatsoever. It's you could build, you could literally build all of Las Vegas for forty, maybe not quite, but you could build a lot of Las Vegas for forty six point five billion dollars. You could establish a new major city for forty six point five billion dollars. Well, and don't take this the wrong way, but I was very recently in Toronto. It's not that nice. Like no. it's fine. Yeah. It's fine, yeah. but it's like you would. Still traffic, still, you know, mayhem, still construction. Um, there's that one stretch of construction that David Mendes complains about because the road repairs are now old enough to vote in the next federal election. They seem to have been going on that long. Um, I don't know. I just 
to quit spending the money. Find Let's... find some cost-effective savings, please. Can we pull can we pull the article up and just scroll to the related image at the bottom for a second, just because it's really funny? <laughs> if possible. Sorry if that's a pain, but uh the related image on this article is just golden. I don't know if you see it there, Sheila. It's a picture of the uh the beautiful, beautiful skyline that has a 46 point. That's not great looking for a 46.8 billion dollar uh, shortfall. Yeah, stunning. Looks stunning. like a, yeah, I, a futuristic uh, former Soviet former Soviet republic trying yeah, to fancy anyways, itself up. Hopefully, the architect isn't watching because they're probably crying. But anyways, uh, yeah, that's very, very, very Toronto. Um, we're going to skip the last ad break so we can get through the last yeah. the rest of these stories. Um, uh, electric subsidies now $32 billion, according to BlackRock's um, federal subsidies for electric car makers yesterday reached $32 billion, twice the annual output of the entire Canadian auto sector. My it's God. Pretty it's pretty remarkable. Industry Minister François-Philippe Champagne said, yeah. uh, awarding another subsidy to Ford Motor Company. I think it's a big accomplishment. That I love that this is just like one paragraph, and it's absolutely perfect. I just have this. I don't have. I don't have. I'm not logged in presently, but that's pretty much all we need to know. the The subsidies for electric car makers are double the entire output for the entire auto sector. This is these are we're talking about make believe numbers with under the, this government in this country these days. So they're twice the amount of total. The total industry is just subsidies, and then this minister thinks that this is that this is a big accomplishment and pretty remarkable. It's definitely pretty remarkable, but in a truly horrific way. Um, I just pulled up the statistics in Alberta because we do a really good job of tracking registration by fuel type in Alberta. When you register your vehicle with the province, you have to tell them the fuel type. And I always look at this because uh, it shows you like the uptake on electric vehicles. And it sort of seems to be kind of, it doubled a little bit and then it was like one thirded up, you know, as it went. Um, so uh, right now we have, uh, about 3.6 million vehicles registered on the road. 3.6 million. Now, the feds have said we have to get those to be um, fully electric, net zero vehicles, all of them, all the new vehicles by, I think, 2035 is the goal. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck to you people. This Every time I look at this, I think you people are idiots because we've got uh, 3.6 million vehicles registered for the road in Alberta. And these are the ones you can drive on the road. This is not like um, farm trucks that maybe don't get registered on the road or whatever. And yeah. of the fully electric ones, we've got about 5,600. So they're throwing all this money at the uh, electric vehicle industry and people just won't buy them. Now, yeah. last year there were 3,500. So, an extra 2,000 have come on the road in Alberta, but we are a population of nearly 5 million people. We've approaching 4 million cars on the road, and we have like a statistical rounding error of fully electric vehicles, no matter how much money the feds dump at the automakers of our money. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think we could probably have purchased electric vehicles for entire Alberta cities. Yeah. Instead of just giving money to the automakers. Yeah. If yeah, we they really cared. Just, 
They could have just bought everyone cars. <laughs> yes. Get rid of this is what I'm saying. Cars. Yeah, it's wild. This is what I'm it's saying. Not, everyone gets a Tesla. The government could be like Oprah. They are like Oprah, except they're just giving money to massive corporations and, and taking it away from Canadians. They're doing a reverse Robin Hood. Um, I am told by the studio, we do have to do one more really quick ad break. Then we're going to come back right after that, do two more stories, chats, and we're going to get you out of here as close to yeah. as possible as on time. So one quick ad break. Alrighty. Back to two stories. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company's Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. It contains natokinase, dandelion root, and iris sea moss, which are all associated with impressive research for people who want therapeutic effects to help them feel like their old self again. So if that's you or someone you love, head to twccanada.health and use coupon code REBEL to save 10% when you do. That's twccanada.health. Look, if you're tired of supporting companies that eagerly rejected unjabbed consumers like modern day lepers, why not buy supplements that were created by an ethical team of doctors from an ethical company? Go to twccanada.health slash rebel today. That's not sure great you guys ad. Had a, yeah, it's good. <laughs> ad. Yeah, good job. Nice walking through the forest, getting that uh, pre- yeah pre-pandemic feeling back. Uh, some really good news. I don't know if you had a chance to touch on this yesterday, but uh, COVID charges have been dropped against Ontario yes. Pastor. Uh, you talked about it yesterday? No, we didn't. I wrote it up no. for the website this morning. Uh, Pastor yeah. Michael Thiessen of, uh, I think it's Grace, Grace Baptist, Baptist Church in Simcoe, Ontario, had his Alliston, charges thrown. Yeah, Alliston, yeah. Simcoe County. Um, yeah. He had his charges thrown out. Um they had like a massive check stop operation at this church um, back in April 2021. Uh, some narcs uh, decided that these Christians were being a little bit too uh, fellowshipy for their liking during the time of COVID. Instead of minding their own damn business, they called the cops. The cops put them under surveillance and then did like a check stop style operation, except they weren't looking for real public health problems like drunk driving. They were looking for Christians who wanted to sing and worship together, and they got the pastor there, and uh, his charges were tossed out. So good, 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 good. That is wonderful news. We do have one more story that we want to talk about today, but I think we'll just uh, jump to that as the as the stream wraps up. We do have two uh, Rumble rants here that we're going to get to. The first one is from Alberta Don, which is a very good name, $5. Uh, can you have your tech guy format Church Under Fire and other videos? So I forward it to the TV from my tablet so I can watch on the big screen. Keep up the good work. That is a really good question. Uh, we'll we'll take a peek I at that. I think we're working on that. I, yeah. I think we're working on that. I think we're uh, adopting the ability to cast and stream uh, from your Wonderful. tablet and your phone. Um, I know that we have received viewer feedback about that. I mean, that's sort of how I like to force my family to watch things that I want to show them. I just stand there with my phone and then like cast it to the TV when they're trying to watch something that they want to watch. And I'm like, no, actually, you need to see this right now. And yeah. so uh, I know that I'm not the only rebel in the universe who does those sorts of things. So I we want to provide that 
to you to force your friends and family to watch uh, Rebel News um, when they are captive in your home. So uh, we're mm -hmm. working on it. While you're at it, cast it to your neighbor's screen. They need to watch too. I'm joking. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, Fraser McCurney. You went in the dentist's office. <laughs> <laughs> All the TVs while people are getting teeth pulled. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fraser McBurney uh, uh, chimes in twice. Really appreciated. Uh, first, he says, I'm so happy that I was able to contribute to send the rebel to Maui. Let's hope they are safe. Having been to Maui many times, it breaks my heart. Last time I was there, it cost me $5,550.19. 98 prices have gone up for sure and then uh five dollars what is the sentence for impersonating a cop when do their trials start have they been deported yet that's i think that's in relation to the chinese police stations so yeah probably shockingly if i were to do that the police would be here very quickly but when chinese officials do it another story altogether i mentioned uh before we sign off here and jump to the video of the uh, uh yeah. the two thousand people she looks like you have something to say go no, I was just going to say, like, you can just go to these Chinese police stations. Like, they're yeah. not hidden. You can just yeah. go to one. At the mm -hmm. uh, Democracy Fund Student Journalism Conference, one of their, one little group, their project was to go and investigate a Chinese police station. And luckily, they had someone who was a Chinese speaker in their group. So she went there and read all the signage. And it was like the funnest, mm -hmm. it wasn't, I mean, it was fun is probably not the right word, but it was really uh, you felt like you were with a tour guide taking yeah. you on this secret mission because she was able to translate everything. And it's just right out there in the open. Just, yeah. but I mean, you'd have to have a government with the political will to get rid of these uh, spy and coercion operations. Um, but nope, you can just like literally just go visit them. Yeah, it's surreal. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll sign off here and then we'll jump to a video. Uh, Pierre probably ever shared this. It's uh, what what you can get for $2,000 a month uh, in this tiny little 200 square foot thing. But I know Sheila's got some stuff to do. So we'll sign off and then we'll jump. We can watch that. I'm, to... I'm good for I'm good for a couple okay, of minutes. Let's, let's watch uh, let's... a video together and comment on it. And then we'll go from there. This is uh, this is this is where this is what they want you having. It's wild. This is the neighborhood. This is a 200, yeah, 200 square foot apartment in downtown Eastside. This is your living room. This is the price. This is your bedroom. This is your fridge. This is your kitchen. And this is your dining room. This is a space for your guests. And this is your walk-in closet. Now this is a bathroom. This is the neighborhood. This is a I, shed. This I'm this is me being claustrophobic just watching that. Oh, I've man. stayed in hotel rooms that are bigger than that. Yeah. That's outrageous. Oh, yeah. Like two grand I've been a month that you get two grand a month you get a Mick Mansion out here in Alberta, especially yeah. where I live, and you know, like relatively close to the city. I can't yeah. believe. Like no yeah. wonder people are just evacuating Ontario and moving oh, yeah. to Alberta. Leave your politics and, behind, thank you very much. But please come here and enjoy the low cost of living. Yeah, and I, I like if you're let's say for example. You're like single, fresh out of university. You finally got a good job. You want to pay for a house. Let's say that was an option and it was like $500 and you did it for okay. a year in order to save up. 
But no, this is like a $2,000. This is what a, a, a current generation, they think living downtown in that and renting that for $2,000 a month is making it. That's terrible. <laughs> That's just the I, absolute worst. As an Albertan, I just don't understand how young people get ahead, have a dream of getting married and starting a family and having like a piece of grass in the backyard yeah. where your kids can toddle around and play. That yeah. just seems so unattainable in so much of this country and yeah. yet nobody is talking about the causes of it for example yeah. can we hit up the pause button on immigration until we catch up with housing starts it's not an anti-immigration statement it's a yeah. pro-immigrant statement because i don't want immigrant families new canadian families living in a broom closet they yeah. deserve an opportunity to achieve an affordable canadian dream also like I look at my son. My son has a good job. You know, he's a pipe fitter. He's got a house, got a car. He goes on little weekend getaways with his girlfriend and his little buddies. And he eats out and he does young people things, right? Like he does young people things. I don't know how any young person in Toronto has any money left over for yeah. fun and like doing normal young people things. I just, my heart breaks for them. Oh, just, I, I don't know how it, I, I don't know how they do it. It just, it's so sad. I I don't know how they oh. get ahead and, and it's gotta be depressing. Like you look at what your parents have. And of course you, you want to work towards that. You want to have a family, have kids, mm -hmm. have a car, take your family on vacation, maybe get a little camper trailer, maybe have a second vehicle, maybe have a playhouse in the backyard for your kids. You never get there in no. places like Toronto. I can't see it happening. It's brutal. And the reason I'm laughing is not this is just absolutely brutal. Did you see the uh, the graduation speech that Christia Freeland gave? Oh, let's show it. Okay, let's watch this. Someone is talking about this. This is a graduation speech from Christia Freeland. I just put it in Slack. I heard it was uh, I heard it was real, real uplifting and oh, inspirational. It's, it's, it gives you a lot of, of hope for the future. Things. It's it's terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Our time of tranquility is over and we are living in an age of change. We're living through what President Biden on a visit to my country in March called an inflection point. A time of transformation, he said, that comes once every five or six generations. Now, like it or not, you are graduating into that inflection point. And as some of the very best educated people on our planet, you have the rare and precious opportunity to shape it. So what is this inflection point? What is this upheaval which is going to the roots of humanity itself? There are many ways to describe this transformational moment, but I think they all come down to one fundamental question. Does capitalist democracy still work? That's the question being posed around kitchen tables in my country and this one, as parents wonder if our children can count on capitalist democracy's essential promise of a future more prosperous than our present. It is the question being posed in the muddy and bloodied trenches of Bakhmut, as Ukraine's brave Democrats resist the invading forces of Putin's dictatorship. She's and it is the question being like, posed by our shrinking glaciers 
and our warming oceans. Glaciers are asking, asking questions. Wordlessly, but emphatically, if <laughs> democratic societies can rise to the existential challenge of climate change. Now, these are, of course, huge and fundamental challenges. I'm not here to counsel despair or retreat. Yeats famously said <laughs> of another generation that came of age in a liminal moment that, guy's like, what that the, the best lacked all conviction, while the worst were full of passionate intensity. Yeah. What? Uh she should have closed that speech with the number for the suicide hotline. Like, what <laughs> is she doing? She's like, things, if, if you think if you think things are desperate, the glaciers weep like. <laughs> yeah, go talk to the, the, the snowbank about how bad silent. it is. Yeah, like. Oh man, terrible. Yeah, that's our that's just our government. Very depressing, and it's like you're being you're being launched, burst, I guess, from yeah. university into this terrible, terrible world. <laughs> That you created, Christian? Yeah. You, like, the system is out to get you. You're the system, sister. Like, what what, yeah. what are you doing? You're, like, telling Brutal. these young people you made it crappy. And yeah. uh, so just uh, hang in there, you know, like. She's like, we've made, we've, I'm proud to say we've made it the worst it's been in five, six generations. Yeah. And then, like, that guy, he's like. <laughs> yeah, he just he looks. That was like the the gym from the office. He's like, <laughs> oh yeah, oh, no, she yeah. should write for Hallmark inspirational oh, yeah. cards yeah, for she, Hallmark. That's... She's the worst. <laughs> imagine, imagine if she takes the reins next. What those debates are going to be like? Oh God, have mercy. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, uh, I know you've got some important stories to do. We are all very busy, but it's been a great pleasure uh, co-hosting with you, it's Sheila. Fun. I want to go ahead. You said it was fun, super fun. Oh, it was fun. It, it was fun. It's been a, we used to do these all the time. It's been a while, so it's yeah. been nice to be back at it. Uh, thanks to Olivia for holding the studio down. Most of all, though, thanks for everyone who is watching at home. We couldn't do it, and really there wouldn't be much point doing it if you weren't here engaging with us, watching, enjoying the content. Looking forward to be back at it with you next week. And as always, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Adam Sose.